Good morning again. I invite you to take your Bibles and open to Mark chapter 12. Be looking at verses 28 to 34 this morning. Mark 12, verses 28 through 34. If you find your way there, it's page 849 in the Pew Bible. Page 849 in the Pew Bible. Let's pray together. Father, thank you for the opportunity to be here. Lord, and as we've already sung, all we have is Christ. Lord, it's a truth that is so simple and that begins our walk of faith, the fact that we can do nothing except trust in Jesus Christ alone as our Savior for the forgiveness of our sins. Lord, I hope as we grow, not only in age, but in maturity, we realize through all the complexities of theology and the depth, the incomprehensibility of who you are, it still comes back to that simple fact that all we have is Christ. That that is the impetus, that is the beginning, that is the end of our walk with you, is that we are lowly sinners who have been redeemed through the shed blood of Jesus Christ. And it's all about him. He is the one who is sent from you to redeem us, to save us, and the one who's to be, be, be preeminent in all things. Lord, we love you. We pray for that now, for the preaching of your word. We pray in his name. Amen. If you're on your way to Mark chapter 12, please follow along as I read verses 28 through 34 this morning. And one of the scribes came up and heard them disputing with one another. And seeing that he answered them well, asked him, which commandment is the most important of all? Jesus answered, The most important is, Hear, O Israel, the Lord our God, the Lord is one. And you shall love the Lord your God with all your heart, with all your soul, and with all your mind, and with all your strength. The second is this, You shall love your neighbor as yourself. There is no other commandment greater than these. And the scribe said to him, You are right, teacher. You have truly said that he is one, and there is no other besides him. To love him with all the heart and with all the understanding, with all the strength, and to love one's neighbor as oneself is much more than all whole burnt offerings and sacrifices. And when Jesus saw that he answered wisely, he said to him, you are not far from the kingdom of God. And after that, no one dared to ask him any more questions. One of my favorite authors growing up in high school, we had to read several books of his, was Mark Twain. Uh, the Adventures of Tom Sawyer, The Adventures of Huckleberry uh, Finn, um, A Connecticut Yankee in King Arthur's Court. So many uh, good, fun stories, stories that are embedded in the American conscience. Mark Twain was by no means a Christian, <laughs> not by any stretch of the imagination, and he has a lot of different quotes saying about Christianity will live forever, but only in a museum, things like that. But one time, somebody asked him, what was the issue that he had with the Bible? What, was, what did he think about the difficult, hard things in the Bible? And his response to this individual was this, it ain't those parts of the Bible that I can't understand that bother me. It's the parts that I do understand. 
He said, it ain't those parts of the Bible that I can't understand that bother me. It is the parts that I do understand. What he was referencing was not the difficulties of understanding all the extremities of Scripture, but those simple truths that are plainly laid out that he took issue with, that he found difficult. As we approach our Christian life and as we approach following after Jesus, usually the most difficult things for us to live out are not the intricacies of the faith or the deep things of theology, but it's the plain, simple truth of what it means to follow Jesus, to love God and to love others. It's very easy to understand, but it's hard to do. It's very simple to comprehend loving God and loving others, but yet to actually live that out on a daily basis is a continual battle against self and against sin. In this passage this morning, Jesus is confronted by one more religious leader. (laughs) From the time that he entered Jerusalem in Mark 11 through chapter 12 here, it's been uh, confrontation after confrontation. And now finally we've come to the end of these confrontations here, more than likely in the temple. And it's a capstone, it's a summary of Jesus' understanding of the law and the prophets of what is most important. And it's really very simple. It's something that I'm sure most of you have heard before. I've preached on this passage from Matthew's gospel not too long ago, and there's a little different nuance in between the two. But this fact of loving God and loving others is so important for us because it really is the foundation of how we live out our faith. It's the bedrock. It's the simple commands that we are called to in Christ, but yet they are some of the most difficult things to do. In this passage, Jesus is confronted. He's asked a question and he responds. And then the scribe responds to Jesus. It's really interesting. This turns from more of a confrontation to a conversation. We see a surprising answer of Jesus to this scribe. But this question and Jesus' answer and the response of the scribe leads to this big idea. Is that a follower of Jesus loves God leading to love for his neighbor. And that's our big idea. A follower of Jesus loves God, which leads to a love for his neighbor. In a final encounter here, Jesus answers the sincere question. Whether or not the man is trying to trick him, we don't necessarily know. But by the end of it, I don't think he is. I think he's asking a common question with sincere interest. But Jesus expertly and clearly states the heart of the law, the Torah. Loving God leads to love for neighbor. It is what the road of the law begins and ends with. It summarizes it. It supersedes any outward religious ritual. The heart for God and love for him is at the center of the life of a disciple. For from this heart springs the action of the hands. Right? All that we are... In Christ, we are called to submit to him and follow him. Let's look at how loving God leads to loving your neighbor in this passage. First, loving God leads to loving your neighbor because it summarizes the law. 
It summarizes the law. So verse 28, one of the scribes came up. A scribe here could be a Pharisee or a Sadducee. They were a subset of these religious leaders, but they were experts in the law. Sometimes they were referred to as lawyers, not like the ambulance chasing lawyers we think of, but lawyer or lawyer, somebody who was an expert in the law of Moses. And they knew it backwards, forwards, inside out. They had it memorized from a very young age. So this scribe came up and he heard them disputing with one another and seeing that he answered them well. So this is happening in the temple. We've had the confrontation of Jesus's authority and paying taxes and the resurrection and the, the woman who was killing off her husbands at an alarming rate, uh, these interactions. And he heard all of this. And so he comes to Jesus and it's almost like an aside. And he says, I've, I've heard you answer and you've answered well. And, and I have this question, which commandment is the most important of all? Which commandment is the most important of all? And he's referring to the law of Moses, the Torah, which was the, the guiding constitution, for lack of a better term, for the nation of Israel, for the religious leaders. It's well known there are 613 commands or rules or laws in the law of Moses. 365 negative commands, and I didn't write it down, but you can do the math, the, <laughs> the subsequent amount of positive commands. But 613 commands. So that's, that's a lot more than just 10 commandments. So what is it is most important? You ever looked at an owner's manual? And there are a lot of things, beware of this, beware of this, beware of this. But generally, there's the most important thing, like in the big block, big block like it's set apart with the warning, the danger. Maybe there's voltage signs, flammable, you know. The big things, hey, remember this, like, no open flame near gasoline, things like that. <laughs> He's asking this question, which one is supreme? If you had to boil it down here, Jesus, of all 613 commands, which is most important? Which is preeminent? Which summarizes? So he isn't saying that these ones don't matter and this is the one that matters, but he's, he's asking with the idea of most important is which one summarizes, encapsulates? If you could, Jesus, summarize all those commands into one command, what would it be? It's a cliff notes. It's the, what's the big idea of the law? In a sense, he's asking. And this is actually a very common question throughout history, different rabbis and different uh, uh, Jewish writings have asked this question. A lot of rabbis have actually given their thoughts to it. So this wasn't an uncommon question. This was something that was often debated among the rabbis and the scribes and the Sadducees themselves. So how could you summarize the law, Jesus? What's most important? And Jesus answers with not one, but two. Two commands which summarizes the law, but they go together. He says this, the most important is, in verse 29, Hear, O Israel, the Lord our God, the Lord is one, and you shall love the Lord your God with all your heart, with all your soul, and with all your mind, and with all your strength. So the first command that he simply states is this, is that you should love the Lord your God as one, or the Lord is one. You shall love him with all your heart, soul, mind, strength. Jesus is quoting here from the book of Deuteronomy. He's quoting Deuteronomy 6, verses 4 and 5. This is a very important passage to the Jews. This is called the Shema. This was 
in a sense, their summary, their, their catch, not catchphrase, their, their mission statement, their, their overarching summary of their faith. Hear, O Israel, the Lord our God, the Lord is one. It's a reminder that the Lord is one. There is one God. The Lord, our God, is one. You see how God here is viewed in the corporate sense that as a body of people, he is their God. It's not an, he's not an individual God. He is everyone's God. Hear, O Israel, the Lord, our God, the Lord is one. And they should love the Lord, your God, with all your heart, with all your soul, with all your mind, with all your strength. So it's a reminder of who God is. And the command is to love him with everything that you are. A lot of people have spilled a lot of ink describing, well, this is what the heart is, this is what the soul is, mind, strength, these different faculties of our being. You can do that, it's not bad, but the point of Jesus here in quoting this and the emphasis on these various aspects is that he's encapsulating the entire being of who we are. He's saying heart, soul, mind, strength. Every aspect, the immaterial, the material, you know, what we think and how we think and our desires and our affections and how we use our hands and our physical strength, all that we are, all that we think inside and out, material and immaterial is called to love God. Loving God is not just a mental pursuit. Loving God is not just a touchy feely sentimental pursuit. Loving God just isn't something that we do with our actions and our heart is not in it at all. No, all that we say, all that we think, all that we do, even how we think, how we interact, what we set our affection, our motivations on is set on loving God. The term love is that term agape. It's this sacrificial love. It's this this love of, of endearment, of sacrifice, of service. Loving God with all that we are. As I was in Mason City working with, uh, with the teens up there in the youth group, I'd often talk about this, is that sometimes we can view our relationship with God like this. That, okay, I do school in this column. I do sports, extracurriculars in this column. I might have a job in this column, my hobbies, my family, and then here is church or God in this column, right? So I'm this, 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 and this. I said, that is not how you should think of God. God isn't just something else that you do in your life. But you need to think of it this way. Okay, you are a student. Great, you have that column. You are a son or daughter. Great, you have it in this column. You're an employee. You, you play sports, you, whatever it is. But underneath all those columns is the foundation. And that is who you are in Christ. Jesus isn't just something that we add to our life. No, he is the foundation of our life. So whether we are a student or an employee or a father, mother, child, whatever, that that undergirds everything. It's just not something else we add in the stack of columns, but is the foundation that all the other things are built off of. That's what Jesus is saying here. He says, you're going to love God with all that you are, and that impacts everything you say, do, think, and how you do it. This is the greatest command to love the Lord your God with all that you are. It's the foundation. There is not 
one molecule or cell or thought that is given a free pass in loving God. The follower of Christ, we are all called to submit our entire being to loving him. But Jesus doesn't stop there. In verse 31, he says, the second is this, you shall love your neighbor as yourself. There is no other greater commandment than these. So Jesus not only gives the greatest or summary, but then kind of 1A. And it's this, it's from Leviticus 19, verse 18. He says, you shall love your neighbor as yourself. Jesus picks this verse, he says, love your neighbor as yourself. This is the second greatest, or the kind of the, the follow-up command. One author says, those who truly love God will also love, love those who are created in his image. I love Pastor James's phrase this morning that he shared uh, during, during our, our singing. That we are called to love God, and as we love God, we love those who are created in his image. These two things go hand in hand. Loving God leads to loving others. You cannot love God without loving others. That's why we read from 1 John 4. We love because he first loved us. And how do we demonstrate that we have received his love? Is that we love others. You cannot love God without loving others. And in Leviticus 19 Moses gives plenty of examples of what that means. So don't flip there now, but maybe later, if you flip to Leviticus 19, it talks about a theft, deceit, bearing false witness, basically being a good community member in the nation of Israel. All those things outline this command of loving your neighbor as yourself. Jesus has repeated this idea before in the Sermon on the Mount, right? Do unto others as you would have them do unto you. That is loving your neighbors as yourself. This is all over the New Testament. From 1 John and his discussion of love, as I mentioned in the Sermon on the Mount, Paul in Philippians 2, have this mind among yourselves, which is also yours in Christ Jesus, that what? That you consider others more important than yourself. It's loving others as you would love yourself one author said this loving god with heart soul mind and strength has as its foundation and motivation the transforming love that god has poured out on us we love to think of that we love god with all that we are because of god's amazing love that he has shown to us one of my patterns on a sunday morning is when i get here um I review my sermon, get things in order, and then I, I like to read from a little book called The Valley of Vision. It's a collection of Puritan prayers. And I read one this morning that just totally put me in my place. And it, it's, it's basically, it was a prayer for Christian service. And the author said, as I give thanks for gratitude and joy that I have in Christ, help me to remember the sorrow and humiliation that I deserve. What he's saying is that as much as we rejoice in the blessings that we receive, those are made all the better because we remember of what we actually deserve. And so we deserve punishment, wrath, but God has poured out his love for us through Christ and he calls us to follow him. And so we love him with all that we are. We rejoice and we can say yes, but it doesn't stop there. It should manifest itself, the author says here in this quote, the natural response to this 
to this overwhelming gift of love and grace is to love others with the same kind of self-sacrificial love God has shown us. Oh, we love to be shown love. We love to be shown grace. But then the moment when something difficult happens to us and we should show love and grace to someone else, I don't know about that. I like to be the recipient of it, but I don't necessarily like to show grace and love to somebody who has wronged me. The natural response to this overwhelming gift of love and grace is to love others with the same kind of self-sacrificial love God has shown us. Love God, love others. Very simple, but very hard to do. Why? Because of our sin nature. Even though we may be redeemed by the blood of Jesus Christ, we still have that battle, as Paul describes in Romans 7, right? Those things I want to do, I don't do. And those things I don't want to do, I do. Just kind of like, Paul says to put to death the deeds of the flesh, the sinfulness. And one of those is saying, God, I love you. I'm called to love others. And that's hard. Because people are often unlovely. We are all often unlovely sometimes. But if we've truly received the love of God, we will demonstrate that love through loving those around us. Loving our neighbor. Who is our neighbor? Well, in the Old Testament, it was your neighbor in the nation of Israel. But Jesus expands that to mean somebody in close proximity. The parable of the Good Samaritan, right? Here's somebody who was not, in a sense, part of the nation of Israel. He was a Samaritan. He was half Jew, half pagan. But yet he says, no, this is your neighbor. Your neighbor is somebody in close proximity, specifically other brothers and sisters in Christ, but it can be a literal neighbor. (laughs) It can be anybody you come across in your daily life. Loving God leads to loving others because it summarizes the law. Jesus summarizes and explains the entire Old Testament law in two commands. Love God, love others. Simple yet hard. Knowing how to love and balancing loving others from a right relationship with God. The cross is a symbol that reminds us of Jesus' death for us, but it's also a reminder of the love that we are to have. You have the vertical to loving God, and then you have the horizontal, loving others. Loving God leads to loving your neighbor because it summarizes the law. So Jesus expounds this. And the scribe responds, verse 32. And the scribe said to him, you are right, teacher. You have truly said that he is one and there is no other besides him. And to love him with all the heart, with all the understanding, with all the strength, and to love one's neighbor as oneself is much more than all whole burnt offerings and sacrifices. Loving God, our second point here, loving God leads to loving your neighbor because it supersedes all religious ritual. It supersedes all religious ritual. Here, this scribe responds to Jesus. And as you read this, you're like, this guy is too big for his britches here. <laughs> like, uh, who does he think he is responding to Jesus saying, oh yes, you're right. Good answer. <laughs> it's like, yeah, he's right. Of course he is. But in his explanation, he draws out a truth that is very important. Very important. So he says, yes, you are right. The Lord is one. There's no other besides him. 
to love him with all that we are. He says heart with all understanding, with strength, and to love one's neighbor as himself. And he says, why is that more, why is that the most important over everything else? And he says this phrase in the end of verse 33, because all of this is much more than all whole burnt offerings and sacrifices. It's much better, much more than whole, all burnt offerings and sacrifices. Why is that important? Because in the mind of the Jew in the first century, so much was given to following the direct commands and the intricacies of the sacrificial system. And we can have that mind too of the Old Testament law, that it's all these, well, I need to do this feast, this and this at this time, and this is why I go and wash and cleanse, and, and all these outward actions. And here the scribe says, not that those aren't important, but what's more important, what's preeminent, what supersedes all those things is the heart. Is the heart. To love God and to love one's neighbor is more important than all these outward actions of religiosity, of sacrifices and burnt offerings. Not that those things weren't in place by God. They were, but as you read the law in the Old Testament, you realize that all those things were an outflow of the nation's relationship with God. And they were a reminder to the people of the fact that they needed a savior. They needed someone to pay for their sins. And that was to, to lead them to worship God. It was never about the sacrifices, but it was about the God who was holy, who required sacrifice for sin and the God who was going to give forgiveness. But yet the nation got caught up in the sacrifices or forgot the sacrifices. And in forgetting all of those, they forgot about God. But here, the scribe points this out. That you can walk through the motions of burnt offerings and sacrifices and yet still miss loving God and loving others. And this thought is common in the Old Testament. Emphasizing the importance of a relationship of love and obedience over merely external ritual and sacrifices. You might think, well, this is a, a New Testament thing. No, this is, this is all over the Old Testament. 1 Samuel 15. Saul. Saul was a king. Saul was impatient. Saul wanted to offer sacrifice, and he did. And what does Samuel say? Hey, guess what, Saul? Your heart wasn't in the right place. Your heart wasn't in the right place. In 1 Samuel 15, verse 22. Psalm 40, we read last week, as they're called to worship. Psalm 51 are both Psalms of David. And what does David say in those Psalms? You do not desire burnt offerings or sacrifice, you desire a broken heart, a heart that is set on you, God. Isaiah 1 verse 11 says something very similar. Jeremiah chapter 6 and chapter 7 both carry the idea of the inward heart being what's most important, a heart for God. And then Hosea chapter 6 says the same thing in verse 6. The importance of a relationship of love and obedience over outward, external sacrifice. We read that and we think, well, yeah, sacrifices, okay. But for us today, what, what rubric do we use to gauge our love for God? What, what activities do we think, well, I'm okay because I've done this whether it's coming to church, 
It's coming from a pastor. I want you to come to church. Always come to church. Church is always a good thing. Come to church. <laughs> but don't base your relationship with God and your spirituality on coming to church. There's a lot of people who've come to church for a lot of years that when they stand before Christ, they will cry out, Lord, Lord, and he's going to say, depart from me. I never knew you. Or it could be all these other good things. I've done this. I've given to church. Great. Thank you. I've walked through these motions. Yes. Awesome. But we can build up things in our own Christian culture here in 2022 as religious rituals and sacrifices and think I'm okay because I've done this, but my heart is not in it. You might think, well, sometimes they don't feel like coming to church and I come to church and I don't want to be here, but I know I should come. Is that wrong? No, that's good. (laughs) That's a sign of maturity. As you grow up, as adults, you have to do things that you don't like, but you know you need to do them and you do them anyways, right? Is that a sign of hypocrisy or maturity? Maturity, right? Doing the things that you know you need to do that are hard, but are good. As a Christian, you need to come to church. It's where you are built up and encouraged. You are with fellow believers under the word. And you may not feel like it, but yet God calls us to, and knowing that this is good for you, you come even though you may not feel like it, that's a sign of maturity because you know you need it, not hypocrisy. But we can easily fall into the trap of all these outward actions and activities and saying, well, look, I do this. Looking forward to the baptisms next week. Um, I was talking to somebody, I'm like, I'm gonna be all pruny by the time we get through all 14, you know? (laughs) Um, But one of the questions we simply ask anybody who wanted to be baptized, does baptism save you? No, it's not. It it doesn't save you. But is it a sign of obedience to God's word, a sign to the world around us that you believe in Christ? Yes, that's why it's good. That's why God has has given it to us. But it's, if, if we put our trust in the action, it would be empty. It would be a sacrifice. It would be a, 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 a burnt offering that really didn't do anything. But yet, it needs to flow from the heart. A heart that is truly loving God and loving others. It starts there. Verse 34, and when Jesus saw that he'd answered wisely, he said to him, you are not far off from the kingdom of God. What a wonderful statement. This, this is an encouraging statement. This is a scribe who's thinking through things and he's thinking, you know what? Loving God and loving others, that's, that, that's where it is. That, that's, that, that's more important than all these whole burnt offerings, all these other things that I can do. And Jesus says, you're right. You're not far from the kingdom of God. He said, you're, you're, you're getting there. You're, you're, you're getting understanding, scribe. Keep going. There's an interesting conversation and a couple commentators on this, this passage and this idea of of how God works in drawing us to himself as we start to understand things and put things together, the process, the journey of coming to know Christ as our savior. Jesus says, you are not far. You are getting it. The fact that it begins with the heart of loving God and loving others. The end of verse 34, and after that, no one dared to ask him any more questions. 
One author said, if we love God, we will experience his love within and will express that love to others. We do not live by rules, but by relationships, a loving relationship to God that enables us to have a loving relationship with others. Now, this does not remove the standard of holiness that God calls us to. I've heard that statement often. Christianity isn't a religion, it's a relationship. Well, yes and no. It starts with the relationship with Jesus Christ as your Savior, but that relationship calls us to live life in a certain way. Because we love Jesus and have a relationship with him, we are called to love others. And if any word has been repeated the most in this message, it's this, is love, right? What does it mean to love? And the world has a whole definition of love. And the Bible has a whole really completely definition of love. Loving God and loving your neighbor is seeking to secure the highest good for the other individual without thought of cost to yourself. But sometimes loving your neighbor means calling their sin out. Sometimes loving your neighbor says, hey, what you said to that person was really hurtful. Sometimes loving your neighbor is calling them up and saying, you know what? I see this pattern in your life. This is dangerous. Sometimes loving your neighbor is, here's a warm meal. Sometimes it's, hey, come on over. I'll I'll cry with you. Loving your neighbor is much more well-rounded than the world would think. And we need to keep this in mind. Loving God and loving others leads to encouraging those to love God also. To put off sin, to put on Christ's likeness, to follow hard after Jesus. What does Paul say? I press on. I I push forward to follow after Jesus. These verses are often abused and taken out of context. And this happened just this past week. Um, there's a governor in California, Governor Newsom, and with the whole issue of abortion, and we're thankful for the overturning of Roe versus Wade and the subsequent legislation that's happening in a lot of states. Of course, California is one that is very much open to abortions. And part of his campaign in running for governor, Governor Newsom put up billboards advocating for people to come to California to get abortions. As reprehensible as that is, what's almost as reprehensible is at the bottom of that, bold, of that billboard, he has the audacity to quote scripture. And what does he quote? He quotes Mark 12, verse 31. That reads, the second is this, you shall love your neighbor as yourself. There is no other commandment greater than these. In his mind, who's the neighbor? What's well, neighboring states. We're going to love you, neighboring states, as we love ourselves. So come on here and have an abortion. But this is heresy. This is using Scripture to promote sin. What Governor Newsom fails to understand, like most of the unsaved world, is the context and the nuance of Scripture. Loving your neighbor does not mean come here and do whatever you please. We won't judge you. Loving your neighbor is calling them to a higher standard of loving God. And I dare say, loving your neighbor by allowing them to kill an unborn child is not a way to love God. 
We are called to love our neighbor as ourself. And what does that involve? It involves calling them to a love for God. Why? Because our love for neighbor finds its motivation in loving God. When you remove loving God from the equation, the whole thing falls apart. And though we may seek the good of others around us, when we are left to our own devices of loving our neighbor as ourselves, we will lead them down a road of sinfulness and selfishness rather than directing that love to our neighbors to loving God. As a follower of Jesus, we are called to love God. And as we love God, that love leads to love for neighbor. And Jesus says, this is the preeminent thought of the Old Testament. This is fleshed out in Jesus himself. And this is what the gospel enables us to do as New Testament believers, to love God through Christ. And in loving God, we are called to love others. We love because he first loved us. And we love others because he loved us. May we be a body of believers who love God first and foremost. But yet in loving God, we love others. We love each other. Even when we're unlovely. Even when we need to, hey, we see this in your life. It may not be the best thing. Have you thought about this? As well as the, let me just sit and cry with you. Let me sit and encourage you. Let me, let me pray with you. That well-rounded love for the body that comes from our love for God. May we be followers of Jesus who love God and in so love our neighbor as ourselves. Father, we thank you for the opportunity to worship you this morning. Lord, to think of this idea of this command of what it means to love you and to love our neighbors as ourself. As Christ, who came to seek and to serve and to give his life as a ransom for many, as a suffering servant king, he is living this out. Lord, he, he loves you as his father and he submits himself to you and in doing so, he loves others. He loves us. He has died. He's the propitiation for our sins. May this spur us on to love and to good works. May we live in a way that points others to the gospel for your honor and your glory. We pray in your son's name. Amen.